We have a friend of ours here who is a dear friend of yours truly. I absolutely love him. 20 years ago, approximately, he would be here in this city advocating for righteousness and justice. Uh, he is a general in the evangelical community, and he is here with us today. I am honored and pleased. Our first issue is life as we do justice in the name of Jesus. Help me welcome from Columbus, Ohio, Pastor Rod Parsley. <laughs> Do you love Pastor Sam Rodriguez? My, 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 my. It's an honor to be here with you. Thank you for this invitation. Uh, I want to first say thank you to the organizer and the founder of the National Hispanic Leadership Conference, Pastor Sam Rodriguez, to the organizer of today's event, and Vice President Pastor Tony Suarez, to Dr. Tim Hill, the great overseer of the Church of God, and uh, Stephen Strang, my dear friend. It's good to see you. Uh, without him, there would have been no silent no more. So we delight in seeing you today. Bishop Harry Jackson, who is my dear, dear, dear brother, and I love with all my heart. All the City Harvest Network pastors that are here, it's wonderful to see all of you. So we thank God that we are all gathered here today, and uh, I'm going to, they asked me if I'd like a lavalier mic or a handheld mic or the podium mic. I chose the podium mic that I might prove miracles still happen today, and I'm going to stand right here in one place. Uh, I'm an audience participation preacher, so it's okay if you smile. God won't fall off his throne, I promise you. Angels will stand at attention if we get happy about what God is already doing in the midst. As Pastor Sam said, all you have to do is look around this room and believe that God is still a miracle-working God. We are delighted to be here with you. Uh, all these nationalities and ethnic groups represented, including Eastern Kentucky hillbillies, and we thank God for that. Throughout the ages, countries and kingdoms have been birthed on the battlefield of a revolutionary movement. Now, these crusades have been championed by soldiers and citizens citizens uh, who found themselves willing to expend their lives for a cause they believed greater than themselves. The effect of such an upheaval has been the escalation of every religious, political, and social movement from communism to feminism, from Marxism to Nazism, from anarchy to democracy, and from mayhem to martyrdom. We see a revolution is dependent upon the moral virtue of the people and becomes necessary when the virtue and intelligence or the vice and ignorance of the people demand it. At that point, negotiation and compromise become void and a revolution is inevitable. 
Now, the only way for evil to excel is for good men and women like you and myself to do absolutely nothing. And the church that claims to uphold the cause of Christ yet condemns confrontation is little more than a social club that wants rain with no thunder and no lightning. They long to avoid confrontation by dwelling in the devil's demilitarized zone in order that they might preserve their facade of peace at any price. But some of us know that power, real power, concedes nothing without a demand. The control of any dictator is directly relevant to the endurance of those whom he oppresses. A brave man negligent to his office is of little more value than the coward that deserts in the time of gravest danger. We're at a point of crisis. Our nation is in chaos. The moral foundations once constructed by the tenets of our faith are quickly crumbling around us with no sign of a cure. We are at a strategic inflection point. We are faced with a choice. Now, when complacency exceeds your desire for change, the consequence is concession and chaos. But at times like today, when contentment and comfort no longer pacify the people, the cry, freedom at any cost, can be heard, and that and that alone become the catalyst which produces confrontation with an inevitable change. At that point, the entire creation, as we're seeing today, begins to groan under the pressure of giving birth to a revolutionary movement, a genuine culture-shaking revival where the moral climate of our city has changed and the effect is felt like shock waves throughout the entire nation. There is no greater drama than the sight of a few remnant believers scorned by a succession of adversaries, bearing trials with tenacity, multiplying miraculously, building order in chaos, fighting the sword with the word, savagery with hope, defeating their strongest adversary, while at the same time, rescuing the despondent, restoring the downhearted, reviving the life of Christ in the hearts of humanity. Though beaten and battered, we are not bowed. We are propelled by a power I believe it's the Holy Ghost. We are propelled by a power greater than ourselves. We are compelled by an inward desire to serve an infallible leader with irresistible power, which is based upon absolute truth. Men and women of such moral stock will not cave in in the times of gravest danger. So give me a remnant. I care not whether they be laity or leadership. I don't care whether they're male or female. Doesn't matter to me if they're hillbilly or Hispanic. Doesn't matter to me if they're black and white. Give me a remnant who, like David in the face of the Philistine giant, squared his shoulders and declared, is there not a cause? Like Moses in the courts of Pharaoh, who said, you better let God's people go, like Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. standing on the Washington Mall declared in the face of 
racial segregation and preached, let freedom ring from every hill and every mountain, not just from Capitol Hill in Washington, D.C., said he, but from Stone Mountain in Georgia, let freedom ring. And we will hasten that day when all God's children, black and white, Jew and Gentile, Protestant and Catholic, may stand hand in hand once again and sing in the words of that old Negro spiritual, free at last, free at last. Thank God Almighty, we're free at last. I'd like a drink of water. For those of you that may not know, I am now three years cancer-free. But I get a little dry every now and then. Wouldn't it, isn't it ironic that the enemy of our souls would attack the man that wrote Silent No More with vocal cord cancer? Thanks be to God. Silence is the language of defeat. Big loud amens from preachers are the sign of victory. Therefore, I will be, everybody say the word, still. Say it again. Say it again. I will be still. I will be silent no more. I must speak, and I must speak now. Our time still demands it. Our history still compels it. Our future still requires it. And more than anything, God is, hallelujah, still speaking. He's still watching. Elie Wiesel survived the Holocaust and then won the Nobel Peace Prize. It was Ellie who said, I swore to never be silent whenever and wherever men and women suffer humiliation. Martin Luther King Jr. declared our lives begin to end the day. <laughs> we become silent about the things that matter most. Winston Churchill said, <laughs> when the eagles are silent, the parrots begin to jabber. We are in a city of parrots. Yeah. Zell Miller, my great friend and former senator from the state of Georgia, stood on the floor of the United States Senate and declared as only he could that uh, silence is not golden. It's plain old country yeller. <laughs> to be morally consistent, I've found for the past 20 years, is to at times be politically unpredictable. Look at somebody across the table from you and say, you need to be a little more unpredictable. <laughs> there need to be some Democrats in your Republican church. There need to be some Republicans in your Democrat church. I believe there can be a common sense consensus reached if we can just cut through the clutter of all these conflicting extremes and inflamed, polarized passions. Look at somebody across the table from you and say, cut, cut, cut. Cut through the clutter of these 
conflicting extremes. How can I remain silent when the founding faith of our nation is driven from the marketplace of ideas. How can I sit quietly by while the very words our founding fathers intended to protect faith are being used to destroy it owing to a horrible perversion of language and law? The same First Amendment of our Constitution that bars government from restricting our faith is being currently used to drive Christianity from the national public square. Our society ought to be secular, we are told. No prayer in our schools, no God in our pledges, no faith in our politics, and all of this we are doing except from the hands of activist judges who repeatedly overturn the will of the people as expressed through their elected representatives. I will not allow such outrages to go unmarked. Nor will I stand in embarrassed silence while old faiths and new agendas rush in to fill a void left by a supposedly discarded Christianity. I will sound an alarm about Hollywood's perversion of love and sex and about the murder of the old and the unborn alike. I will not be silent until the media's high-tech persecution of our faith is exposed and until the schools our tax dollars support are no longer the enemies of everything we teach our children to believe. I thought I'd find an amen in here somewhere today. You want to talk about poverty? It seems that no one does. I was raised so far back in the woods, we had to use hoodows for roosters. We had to pipe in sunshine. We were raised too poor to pay attention. I've got about 500 of these, so get happy about one of them and I'll stop. I will not be silent as long as hunger and poverty suck hope out of the human souls of our children. Nor can I remain silent in the face of the rushing tide of racial hatred. It is a sad and sorry indictment upon all of us today that Sunday morning remains the most segregated two hours of an entire week in the United States of America. It's not a liberal issue. It's not a conservative issue. It's an issue for every patriot and more so those patriots who have named the name of the living God and of his Christ. Few recognize today the name uh, Cyril Evans or the name Jack Phillips. Two men who played interconnected roles in one of the most tragic events of the 20th century. Evans was only 20 years old that fateful Sunday night, April 14, 1912, as he carried out his telegraph operator duties on the SS Californian. At 10.20 p.m., the ship's captain ordered a full stop in dead calm waters in the remote North Atlantic. The ship had just entered a massive field of gigantic icebergs. They'd wait until the morning light to resume their journey. 
A moment later, the ship's captain rushed into that tiny wireless operator's room and directed Evans to warn all nearby ships of the extreme danger. He did as he was ordered, warning everyone within the sound of his wireless set of the grave danger straight ahead. Five miles from the SS Californian, the lights of the glistening behemoth brand new ocean liner Titanic were visible. Inside Titanic's telegraph room, wireless operator Jack Phillips was frantically working to catch up on a backlog of messages. Titanic, of course, carried some of the wealthiest, most influential people on earth. They had important messages that needed to get to New York City. Phillips was transmitting those messages to Cape Race, Nova Scotia, where they were then relayed to New York City. He was tired. He was convinced of the importance of his work. Phillips was annoyed by Evans' loud shouting warnings coming into his headset and tapped back in Morse code a very angry reply. Shut up. Shut up. I'm busy. I'm working Cape Race. Finding his initial warnings rejected and rebuked, Cyril Evans was faced with a momentous decision. He could persist and further enrage the Titanic's operator, or he could simply shrug his shoulders, sheepishly comply with the order, fall silent, and allow Titanic to turn onward into certain peril. I suspect you know the choice he made. An hour and 15 minutes later, Titanic was struck by a gigantic iceberg. Two hours and 40 minutes later, the seemingly invincible ship slipped beneath the icy surface, sending more than 1,500 souls into eternity. In 2005, my conscience, my love for this nation but mostly obedience to God's command upon my life compelled me to broadcast an urgent warning to our nation and to its Christian leaders. That warning took the form of a book called Silent No More. In it, I cautioned that the culture was steaming headlong into certain catastrophe. I alerted fellow believers of the dire cost of passively sitting on the sidelines while the political process went forward without them. Unfortunately, my urgent alerts largely went unheeded. Certainly there were a few glimmers of response amid the deafening, deepening darkness. A remnant did rouse themselves to join me in proclaiming truth in the public square and redemptive responsibility in the voting booth. And yet our national ship steams forward at an ever more frantic pace, headed towards certain peril. <clears throat> In response to voices like mine and Pastor Rodriguez and many of you, America's popular culture and not a few Christian leaders have echoed an enraged rebuke to us all. If they could stand here today, 
they would give the same rebuke. Shut up. Sit down. We're busy. We're content. We know better. Your archaic notions of morality and absolute truth have no place in our thinking nor in our choosing. Far too many would prefer that you and I simply fall silent. So I too could easily shrug my shoulders, turn away, and quietly go about my business preparing for the oncoming collision. I could justify it by saying, I warned them, but I will not. I cannot. I must not. Today we stand in the heat of a grievous conflict. A conflict for the heart and the soul of this nation. We are in a confrontation with agendas, with lies, with half-truths, with wickedness of the highest form, and with an unconscionable evil so dark that it's well past time for all of us to lift our resolute voices and be silent no more. We have no alternative but that we lift one mighty unified voice. Call the deadly malignancy exactly what our Bible calls it in 1 Timothy chapter 4. Men motivated by seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. Excuse me while I quote the Bible. The question is, Will we fight or will we slink passively into irrelevance and isolation? Will we simply sit by horrified spectators and watch our nation follow Europe slide into the dark, deep night of postmodern, post-Christian paganism? If we continue to pursue this path, I assure you, in a very few years, we will find ourselves godless, faithless, rudderless, and without a seismic return to the discarded values of the past, we will find ourselves and our children hopeless. So I have a question. Where have all our preachers gone? Come on, Pastor. Come on, Pastor. No nation ever fails until the church fails. Look at the seven churches of Asia Minor in the first three chapters of the last book of your Bible. All seven dead within 320 years of their birthing. The third missionary journey of the great apostle Paul. No church dies until that preacher falls mute. Satan knows all he needs to do to stop the church is stop that gospel preacher. Please underline the word gospel because I wonder what we're preaching. Stay on task. That preacher, you and I, we are the medium 
upon which the voice of God Almighty is supposed to break into language. We are those through whom the voice of the infinite must once again be heard in all of the indignation which is proper to his outrage. All around us, the battle lines are being made crystal clear. It's drama forced upon us by events that I'm sure most of us would applaud. Two brand new Supreme Court justices, both are men given to the rule of law, the biblical common law that has enlightened and undergirded our legal system for generations. As a result, many that oppose us (laughs) suspect that a new day is dawning. They tremble at the very thought that the catastrophic Roe versus Wade ruling of 1973 might soon come up for reconsideration. Roe versus Wade, of course, you remember. Uh, It was that ruling in which the majority of state laws and state rights were overturned to legalize abortion nationwide. It was that ruling where Justice Harry Blackman justified the siding, justified abortion by siding the emanations of the penumbra of the law, whatever that means. Google it. Try to find out what it means. It means absolutely nothing, but we make it up as we go along and we legislate from the bench, not the Congress. It was that ruling that was so tragically comical that there were literally outbursts of laughter while it was being heard. Laughter because of how absolutely absurd the pro-abortion case was. But humor quickly turned to horror when Roe became law. Since that dark day in 1973, 61 million children, 61 million children have been put to death through the legalized American Holocaust called abortion. And now, pro-abortion forces, fearful, are going even further. Take, for example, the Virginia state legislator, Kathy Tran, who proposed a bill allowing for a child to be aborted up to the very moment a pregnant mother begins to dilate. In commenting on that law, the governor of Virginia, Ralph Northam, went even further, saying the life of a child might be terminated just after the birth, as long as the doctor and the parents agreed. This is the same man who infamously appeared in blackface 34 years ago and whose resignation was demanded as a result. However, I didn't hear a single pundit. I didn't hear a single preacher demand his resignation as a result of advocating infanticide. 34 years ago, blackface. Today, infanticide. Where is our outrage? Thankfully, that bill didn't pass. However, a vile new New York 
abortion bill did pass. Uh, in fact, on the anniversary of Roe, this year, the New York legislator decriminalized abortion, allowing the murder of innocent children up to the moment of birth. Every day, terrified, impassioned pro-abortion forces are finding new ways to embed their values in our children. One example tells the tale. The videos of the pro-abortion advocate Amelia Bonow talking to children on a children's YouTube channel. Here she is. She's assuring those children that abortions are good. The procedure is nothing more, says she, than inserting a little straw and, quote, sucking out the pregnancy. The little boy asked her, well, what do you think God thinks about abortion? Her response, oh, I think it's all God's plan. This is the spirit of our age while we have meetings and church services and church picnics and gatherings, preachers' meetings and talk about next steps. The spirit of death is the spirit of our age. And it's spreading like a plague across America. At times I fear that we may soon bear the scars we've seen recently reported from North Korea. Civil rights activists there have pointed out that we never see handicapped or disfigured people in videos coming out of North Korea. The question begs answering why the answer is resplendent. Because they've all been killed. Defecting medical doctors from North Korea tell us that it is standard practice to murder babies born with physical disabilities as a part of the state policy of eliminating people who are different. Look across the table and say, you're different. <laughs> and if you're not considered different now, we can figure out a reason why you are different. Maybe you're the wrong color. Maybe you're of the wrong socioeconomic group. Perhaps you're the wrong religion. Perhaps you're a white male. Joan and I have faced the pain, the choices of the abortion debate. When Joni was pregnant with Ashton Blair, She took the standard AFP test to determine possible deformities. The results came back. We were told that Down syndrome, spina bifida, fragile X, and death were the real possibilities for our baby in Joni's womb. We've got to do more tests. We need to do a level two ultrasound. When we asked them why all this was necessary, the doctor responded, so you have time to terminate the pregnancy. Well, my reserved, soft-spoken wife didn't miss a beat. Her ferocious mama bear instinct kicked in. 
and with pointed finger and raised voice, she sternly responded, we don't believe in abortion. God is the author of life, and he gave us this baby. Ashton Bourne was... Ashton Blair was born perfectly healthy. Today, she's a graduate of University of Miami and of Liberty University. She hosts her own television program, runs half of our 14 ministries, and she's right here with me today. Stand up and wave to these folks. Two years later, our next child, Austin, who's now 27 years of age, was diagnosed with an autism spectrum disorder, Asperger's syndrome. The doctors told us there was no treatment, no hope, there was no cure. <laughs> Clinically, calmly, they said to us, most parents in your situation would put your son in an institution and forget he was ever born. Uh, of course, we didn't listen. We focused our faith, we focused every spiritual and natural resource we could muster, and Austin has broken through every, every wall that medical professionals suggested he never would. He graduated from high school with a 4.3 GPA. He went on to college and university, holds down a tremendous job, and he's recently picked up a lovely lady friend. I'm not sure how I feel about that yet. But. <laughs> I want you to hear me. I've been in that valley of decision. I've answered the call of life while the demons of death raged. I've known the light of God dawning after the dark, dark night of the soul. And let me assure you, friends, this fight is my fight. And I will fight it as long as God gives breath in my body. And so I must use my remaining moments to pledge to you this day that I will not be silent. I will not be made to cower in fear. I will never exercise timidity, for it is a timid faith that will be intimidated. And I ask you to pledge the same today. May the church of Jesus Christ arise. May the leaders of the church arise. And may we once and forever for all put an end to the American Holocaust in America. Join me in remaining silent no more. Hey, thanks for listening to today's episode. If you enjoyed it, I want to invite you to tell someone in your life about the podcast. Hope you'll do it today. Head on over to iTunes and leave a review. Share it on your social networks for me. Really helps me get the word out. I'd love for you to connect with me on Facebook, on Twitter, on Instagram. No easier way for me to minister to you every day and throughout the day and for us to join together in faith as God moves in and through your life. You can find links to all my pages at rodparsley.com. God bless you now, and I hope you'll listen again soon.